back to another Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. Today's podcast is an interview with Thomas Gabriel Fisher of Trypticon. Trypticon's new album, Requiem, is out now via Century Media Records. Check it out. And the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast welcomes in the great Thomas Gabriel Fisher. Sir, how are you today? doing very good and it's, it's uh, sincerely quite an honor to talk to you. I respect Ghost Call quite a lot and uh, it's a pleasure to be invited to talk to you. Well that is humbling, thank you. Uh, I've been following your career pretty much from the beginning uh, since my young years in the 80s and um, this has been uh, quite a ride for you this last few years, both ups and downs, of course. Uh, it's strange to even, you know, as much as I'm excited to talk about Requiem and the whole genesis of this project and chat with you about your career, what a strange time in the world we live. I almost feel like we kind of wished it on ourselves in a way. I don't know if I'm very morbid or not, but I just feel like we mistreated this world for so long. It's mistreating us back a little bit, huh? Well, are you surprised by this? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Me and many others have, have said that for a very long time, and, and I try to live my life very differently because of that. And as, as far as the, this coinciding with the Requiem, I, I actually think that the, the title Requiem and many other titles uh, uh, of, of the releases in my life, such as Apocalyptic Raids and so on, are actually perfectly fitting for, for what's going on right now. Indeed, indeed. It's almost like every uh, extreme metal song came to life, like a vast, fast-acting plague that we were unprepared for <laughs> came to snuff us out, and we were our own avarice and selfishness is going to make it worse instead of better. <laughs> that's that's the thing. It's selfishness. You you're that's a perfect word to choose. And you say unprepared, but but um, if one if one is arrogant enough to be so selfish and to exploit everything, the environment, animals, and, and fellow human beings, just to enrich ourselves uh, in every way there is, uh, and, and to em embrace a system that knows no limits, that is so arrogant that it, that it accepts no limits and just knows growth, which is completely, anywhere in the universe, is completely unrealistic, then I don't buy the unprepared thing. You, by doing this, you are prepared, and there's no excuse for it because everybody now is. Really, we're not in the in the ninth century. Everybody has access to the relevant information. Everybody has a school uh, education and, and knows the basics, and, and it's really easy to put to, to count two and two together. It's not that that we we, we are some farmers in, in medieval times who have no idea what's going on in the world. So we are prepared. We chose this path, and and. Uh, now it's biting us back, and, and um, you know it's still it's still a modest uh, biting back. It's not it's not the plague like like in 1349 or so. And God knows what else is is going to come. <laughs> right. Eventually, I mean we, we we cannot go on like this forever, and it's it's very obvious. No, you're absolutely right, and that's very fair. Ignorance is no excuse, and. Uh... Maybe this will make us better people. I don't know. Maybe it will make us more conscious and aware and ready. Prepare, you know, I, I, I doubt it. I, I don't have much hope for that. Um, there's <laughs> right. been many events in, in human history that should have made us better people. Uh, slavery, wars, torture, uh, uh, pandemics. Have we learned from this? Not really. So, we'll see. Indeed. Um, 
And certainly, you know, I, I sincerely hope that you, your friends, your family, anyone you care about, anyone related to your projects, I hope everyone is well. No one is ill. I hope you haven't lost anyone to, dear to you in this time because this is real. This is real life, you know. I love music and, and art. It's very real. It's very real. It's very real. And uh, at, at least two of us in Triplicon might have had the COVID um, uh, infection, in, me included. Uh, both me and, and our guitar player had had an extremely violent flu for an extremely long time in early March. But that was the time when all uh, the, the hospitals and uh, the, the doctors were overwhelmed. So I was advised um, not to go to my doctor, but to have a telephone consultation. Uh, and so I wasn't tested, but, but my, my doctor given all my symptoms that I had and also our guitar player said it's possible we have this so yes it is very real even even into our band it's terrifying you know uh, your mortality is nothing to play around with life is precious um, until you don't have it anymore you know <laughs> so uh, I'm sensitive well, to life that. is overrated we, <laughs> we human beings tend to overrate our lives because we take Fair. ourselves incredibly serious and we think everything we do is, is precious and sacred and, and uh, this is also why we do what we do on this planet we, we, we think we are the center of the universe and of course I'm generalizing but I'm talking about the, the larger part of, of humanity so you know what do you expect <laughs> very little I, I, I can see this is going to be a real positive party uh, <laughs> podcast. Well, it is because the next the next segue here is that luckily we have art and we have music and we have these things. Uh, so th- thank you for Requiem. Uh, it's this is you know thirty three years of your career in the making. Um, you know, obviously very personal to you. It's this is you know perhaps your most personal work from an outsider's perspective, from my perspective. And, um, you know, at what point after um, you created Winter um, on the Monotheist album, did you, did you always have this in mind that Grave Eternal, in whatever form it was going to take, was going to come about and you were going to create this triptych of, of uh, pieces? Or is it a little different creation process for you? We already had in mind to, to complete the Requiem in, in 1986, 1987. Martin and I, at the time, naively thought it's going to take maybe two, three, four years. Then we perform it or record it and release it as an EP. As it happened, of course, Celtic Frost um, imploded. And then uh, when we reformed Celtic Frost in, in 2001, uh, one of the first things we talked about was to finish the Requiem. Which is why Winter appeared on, on Monotheist, and we, we at that time, we fully thought that the next Celtic Frost album will, will feature the third part, and then we, we go on stage and perform the whole thing and, and release it as a single piece. But of course, Celtic Frost being Celtic Frost, and, and um, there being people in there that, that have more ego in mind rather than, than uh, working on a band and working artistically, we imploded again, and then it was left to me. Uh, I formed... I formed the band Triptychon, which to me was very much uh, a successor to Celtic Frost in so many ways. And of course, from the very first day of Triptychon, I talked to the others in the band about finishing the Requiem. But I wanted to give the band some time to establish itself as Triptychon. I didn't want to burden the band immediately with like unfinished Celtic Frost business. So uh, I thought maybe on the third or fourth studio album. 
but I had the project in my mind and I juggled it back and forth in my mind and I, I, I had the, the, the basic concept for the missing part I had in my mind for many, many, many years. And then uh, Roburn contacted us and asked us if, if, if we were interested in, in uh, participating in the new concept of, of bringing on stage a collaboration between a metal band and a classical orchestra. And they contacted me because I had done classical collaborations uh, uh, we got across as a pioneering thing in the in the mid 1980s. So I told Walter from Ropeburn, why don't we combine the two ideas? Why don't we combine this concept of of a classical rock collaboration and and my intention to finish the requiem and, and then uh, all the concepts in my, my head, of course, had to become uh, reality and had to be put on paper, so to speak. Nice. Uh, yeah, I adore Walter, and I think Roadburn is absolutely the most special, magical music festival in the world. Um, it is like it is, no other. It is, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm deeply, of all the things that had to get canceled this year, I'm probably the most sad about Roadburn. I know, I, I hope they survive it, because it's it's one of the very few festivals that... that um, isn't orienting itself uh, according to commerce, but actually uh, orienting itself uh, according to to art, or maybe that's a, that's a bit uh, it's a pretentious uh, title. But uh, they really they really care for the music rather than than, than a commercial uh, uh, ideal. And, and uh, to me, this is one of the very very few festival, if not the only festival, to do such a project uh, uh, like Richester did. Yeah, I can't think of another that I, uh, certainly it would be possible if you wanted to do this project. I'm sure you would have found a way, as you often do. But I think to have it at Roadburn is very special. I think the match of the two things is very, you know, not by accident, obviously. And, uh, you know, additionally, I think, you know, obviously with the location, uh, Metropole Orchestra, of course, they're nearby. They're also, you know, situated in Holland. I'm sure they have artists from all over. But uh, they have also a lot of experience in bringing to life these kind of uh, visionary pieces. They've done it before. Obviously, nothing like on this scale. But uh, what was it like to collaborate with them? And how did that process come about? Well, the collaboration with Ropeburn is always extremely pleasant. Um, I've, I've played Ropeburn before, of course, and I was also there as a, as a private guest several times. Uh, they had invited me to be the curator of a Ropeburn Day uh, many years ago, so I've, I've collaborated with them before, and, and uh, it's always very professional, always uh, on, a, on a very deep human level. It's, it's, it's never just a routine thing at Ropeburn. There's always it's a very much a family feeling. So I, I love this. And I, I, when, when Walter contacted me about the Requiem or about this collaboration, I knew we were in good hands and I, I knew there wasn't going to be any any industry pressure on it. I knew I had, I had absolute freedom to do whatever I wanted to do and that, that Walter would, would uh, support whatever ideas we would come with it. And it was like that. So from from that side, it was it was very easy to do this uh, as as a composer and and, uh, and and arranger and so on. It was a very very challenging project that, that many times drove me up the walls. Sure, of course it could. Um, lucky you have some incredible collaborators in Triptychon now. You always have, but uh, the the current lineup uh, with the addition of Safa on vocals. Just amazing in concert with the orchestra and the piece itself. Um, 
Let's let's talk a little bit. You mentioned uh, Santara before, but I wanted to ask about Hannes. He's so wonderful on drums, and he's capable of so much. I think people only know him from limited things that they know him from that he's you know famous for. But like he's so incredible and versatile. Well, it's of course an, a tremendous honor to play uh, with, with Hannes in a band. And I'm not just saying that because he's in my band. He he really is a phenomenal drummer. He's he's one of the best drummers I've ever seen live, experienced live. And yet at the same time, he's he's completely ego free. He's he's such a pleasure to work with. Uh, unlike many other musicians, even in my recent past, that only care for their own ego and their own profit and and whatever. Hannes is exactly the opposite. He, he's there for the music and he's immensely pleasant to, to play with, totally open for so many ideas, extremely capable. Um, so I, I, I knew, of course, I had, I had the right uh, drummer for such a project. But this really, like you said, this goes for, for everybody in Tripticon. I'm, I feel very, very privileged to have these people around me. And, and uh, very early on in the project, I asked our guitar player Vicentura if he would become the musical director of this project because I knew he could handle it and I knew he had the experience and, and the professional capabilities. He's a phenomenal engineer with his own studio, a phenomenal producer. He's a very good guitar player and so on and so on. So I I could have never done, in all honesty, I could have never done this project without without so many good people around us. And this of course includes Safea as, as the singer. And Florian as the classical ranger, and, and uh, down to, to Walter from Roadburn. Uh, it's very unfair that everybody's focusing on me because I wrote the thing, because I could have never pulled this off alone. That's wonderful of you to say. I, I, I'm glad you brought up ego because I think when you have somebody with such a distinct vision like you have had over your whole career, regardless of what the project was, you do need a certain kind of personality who can work with you and take direction and you know give you what you need back. And, and I do appreciate that you. it is a band to you. It's not just these are my guys. This is my backing group. It is a band. And I, I really – I think that's very uh, telling about you but also obviously a certain kind of person takes a certain kind of personality to work with you yeah it does it does and um, the world being what it is you also get frequently disappointed um, I know how important it is to to be a mentor to musicians with with less uh, a bit, uh, with less um, connections uh, less opportunities I was once in that situation too and in Switzerland nobody helped us um, we were we were completely we were an outcast in Hellhammer and and we were ridiculed and wherever we turned we we, we found we found uh, we were declined there was only one band uh, at the time a local heavy metal band called the Black Angels who took a series and who who taught me immensely much about being professional in a band how to professionally rehearse how to professionally record how to professionally play on stage and that mentorship became extremely important to me, and I never forgot that. And also, of course, H.R. Uh, Giger becoming a mentor when nobody believed in us. These these two these two uh, parties became immensely important to me, and I always thought I have to give something back. And and in recent years. Uh, I, I met a, a musician a few years my junior who claimed uh, they were 
hungry and in need of, of some assistance and everything. And then, then when I dedicated two years of my life to helping that person, at the end it turns out it's all a big con. And uh, uh, there, there's, there's deception and uh, insincerity and ungratefulness. Uh, that's immensely disappointing. It's infuriating. Uh, but that's the nature of our world and one has to deal with it and uh, that's the way it is and that's why even more so I, I uh, value the people I'm playing with uh, right now both in, in uh, Trypticon and in uh, Triumph of Death the people I have around me right now they are my family and, and uh, they're also privately my friends, and that's a that's a huge difference. But the world is as as it is, as we as we said before. True, we have to just take it as it is, and you know, do what we need to do in the meantime. Um, a few more things to unpack about the recording and the live performance. So obviously, first of all, recording a, a live orchestra is challenging in and of itself. And then performing, you know, this piece and this scale live. Did you find any personal, obviously you were well rehearsed and you created it, but did you find it any challenges yourself in your own personal performance uh, and anything you learned from that? It, it was the most it was the most challenging performance I've ever done in my entire life. You have to realize you play with this orchestra and every single musician in this orchestra is a studied musician. Whereas I learned to be a mechanic in the early 80s. That's that's what I learned. And everything I do, I'm self-taught as a guitar player, I'm self-taught as a songwriter, I'm self-taught as a producer. I never studied any of this. So that's, that's a very intimidating uh, prospect, uh, of course. And then everybody looks at you because you're the you're the composer, you're the leader of that band, and, and of course the entire orchestra, the, the conductor, the recording people, the crew, everybody looks at you and expects you to have the perfect solution for everything, the answer to everything. And of course I, I have to have the, the the pride to do to to have an answer, but of course I'm not shaking this out of my sleeve like without any effort. It's it's um, it's a huge challenge, and I never have never gone on stage more focused. Than, than during that performance, the Requiem performance. I, I didn't want to uh, uh, be the one who ruins it with the mistake, me being the one who wrote it, who initiated this whole thing. There was immense pressure, of course, because uh, I was the person where everything uh, was connected uh, from the recording to the performance to whatever. And so uh, I, 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 uh, again, I went on stage with so many things in my head and, and I had to focus on so many things. There's so many people playing, there's so much communication, visual communication going on. And there's a, there's a conductor who communicates completely differently with his orchestra than, than you do in a band. And we had to, we had to combine the two things. It was, it was really, it was a, a very high mountain to climb. Uh, and uh, like I said, it, it cost me to go on stage with immense focus. I barely heard what we were playing because I was really focused on what's everybody doing? Uh, is anybody playing a mistake? Am I playing a mistake? Where are we? Uh, is the tempo right? And so on. All these a million things that you have to consider when so many people are playing live and when you premiere a piece live. And you said we were well rehearsed. We were rehearsed, but I don't think well is, is the right title. Because of the complexity and the expense of working with an orchestra, we had we had uh, two days of rehearsal, and because of union issues, of course, you only have a few hours during these days. It's not a full working day. 
And me, like I said, uh, me as a self-taught musician, I would have preferred, of course, to have a little more rehearsals, but that's the reality of being a professional musician. So we did it and it worked. But uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a challenge and I'm glad uh, everything went well. Nice. The uh, live uh, mo- film version of the concert definitely shows the intensity and the gravity of the performance on everybody's just laser focused. And uh, it's it's definitely a spectacle. Um, I've, I've probably well, you, see it in, you see it in our faces. A lot of things come together. The nature of the piece being a death mass, the, the atmosphere of, of the evening, the, the, the whole with an extremely respectful, somber uh, audience who really hardly anybody filmed everybody was focused on on the atmosphere created on the emotions created and you can see this in our faces too you can see the, the focus you can see the, the professionalism you can see the, the the shivers on in our skin during the individual time uh, parts of the of the requiem there was so many things combined that night that that it will probably for all of us take quite some time to digest it all even now very fair. Um, I I have to bring up and mention the uh, Blood Angel artwork for Requiem by uh, Danielle Valerani, which I probably just said wrong, but uh, it is a really striking image in contrast to the music, and obviously uh, it's very heavy um, visually. I love the sort of the colors and the faceless Blood Angel. Um, you know, how did you choose to work with Danielle, and um, what are you what are your thoughts on the cover? Daniele is, is a, a friend of mine for quite some time and I always admired his art. I really like that a contemporary artist paints in, in the style of, of centuries ago and does it does it totally authentically. I was deeply fascinated by this and, and uh, one day I saw his Blood Angel painting and I contacted him and asked him if he would sell me the rights to this. Uh, I told him that I would like to use it for Triptychal one day and, and he was of course, uh, he was very happy about this so we, we agreed on that and then sometime later the, the Requiem project became a reality and I, I contacted him again and I said we all in the band feel this, this totally represents the, the, what the music conveys the, the emotion the, the, the atmosphere the ambience that the music conveys and we said would you, would you be okay if you use this for the Requiem album he, he, he was delighted and so it became the cover and also the, the backdrop and I, I, I also uh, asked him for a second painting for the inside, uh, the capefold inside for the album. And also the, the second painting is also the cover of the art book, which is also a painting that's incredibly fitting with the topic of, of uh, this, this, this piece. I'm extremely proud to have worked with him. I'm quite sure we're going to work with him again. He's, he's a very, very talented person. That's wonderful to hear. Uh, just as a last sort of uh, wrap-up question, you know, it's not lost on me, even though this was all created and written in the last few years, that 2020, regardless of what kind of mess this year is turning out to be for you, this is 10 years of Triptychon. You've had a long, very long career between all the groups, but uh, I feel like this is a very fitting another signpost on the way for you creatively this this project this release this package this artwork everything and so i wanted to ask you to reflect a little bit on 10 years of Triptychon and if it has sort of lived up to your expectations of the, you know what you hoped for with the group when you started 
I started it um, without any expectations. Um, I don't know uh, if people believe this or find it hard to believe from a person like me, but I'm actually a very modest person. Um, I, I, I left Celtic Frost and I, I had to prove to the world at the time that I can pull this off without Martin Eric Kane. And even though, of course, I wrote almost all of the music in Celtic Frost, and Martin hardly wrote any music, but he was a very, he was still a very uh, important part of Celtic Frost because we discussed everything. He was more an ideological member of the band, and his influence was was very important on many other levels than musically. So I had to I had to prove to myself and to the world that I can pull this off, and I, I had to find out myself. So I formed Tripticon, and I told my fellow musicians in Tripticon that it took 25 years for Celtic Frost to make it to Tokyo to play there and, and so that they have to be very patient and that they have to be prepared to walk this path with me and that it might take a very long time until Tripticon is, is somewhere. As it happened, the audiences were immensely uh, fantastic and gave us a chance much earlier. And, and Tripticon's career has been, has been amazing and that we owe this, of course, to the openness of, of our listeners. Uh, and I'm very aware of that. Um, also, it's it's actually more than 10 years. I formed Turkticon in, in May 2008, right after I left uh, Celtic Frost. So it's actually behind the scenes, it's actually 12 years of, of Turkticon. It's 10 public years since the first album. And Tripticon has, of course, proven much, much more stable than, than Celtic Frost. There's, there's really no testosterone macho ego lying games going on it's 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 a very cohesive uh, family of friends and it's a, it that makes it an immense pleasure to work because you can actually focus on the music and, and on, on your productions rather than having to fend off intrigues and all kinds of things i i i'm, I'm very very grateful to to be a, uh, granted such a band at this point in my life because many years before and also in, in triumph of death i had to deal with other things and uh, that's not very pleasant totally understandable but uh, i'm sure many more mountains to climb with this project triumph of death whatever you choose to do going forward of course uh thank you for requiem thank you for this wonderful tribute to martin and uh the master giger that you pointed out today and uh just thank you in general thomas it's been a real pleasure and an honor to chat with you today i appreciate you sharing everything the, the pleasure is all mine thank you very much for for giving me the time and for listening to my music I would be exactly nobody for, without people actually giving my music a chance. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you so much and take care and I hope we'll see you on the other side of this uh, crazy time in the world. You too, absolutely. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.